Welcome to the Medical Association of Georgia's award-winning Top Doc Show. With more than 8,000 members who care for patients in every specialty and practice setting, MAG is the leading voice for physicians in Georgia. Go to mag.org to join MAG if you're a physician in Georgia. And thanks to MAG Insurance Agency for its support as a sponsor. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Top Docs. I'm your host and MAG member and Northside Hospital Transitional Year Resident, Dr. Daniel Ahn. Today's episode addresses the crucial need to preserve physician-led anesthesiology teams. Our guest today is Dr. Suzanne Blaylock, who is the president of the Alabama Society of Anesthesiologists. It is worth noting that Dr. Blaylock also has a background in nursing. Welcome, and our sincere thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. All right, so we'll get right into it. Uh, the first question we have for you is, uh, what is your educational background? Well, it's a long story, but I started as a community college two-year nursing student. I got my associate degree in nursing. And then I went to um, nurse anesthesia school, and I got a BS in nurse anesthesia. After that, I went to medical school, and now I have a medical degree and an anesthesiology uh, certification board certified anesthesiologist. Okay, uh, so what prompted you to make the move from nursing uh, kind of to the medical profession? <clears throat> well, when I got into nursing, I knew that I wanted to uh, further my education and I started working critical care and worked on my BS and realized that nurse anesthesia would fit with my critical care experience. I enjoyed that kind of work and the technical aspects. And when I got to being, become a nurse anesthetist and worked, I worked at UAB hospital, which is a university hospital. We did a lot of critical care, uh, intense, you know, complicated cases. I did open heart surgery. And I knew that I could do a lot of technical things. We'd float the swans and put the central lines and all that kind of stuff. But I know I didn't have the background and medical knowledge that I needed to fully complete my education and be able to diagnose and work with patients and make medical decisions. I didn't have, I knew the how to administer anesthesia, but I did not know the whys of why I was giving the anesthesia and what a difference would make if a patient had a different medical diagnosis or a complication. I didn't know the hows of how to take care of that. So I wanted to be able to practice that basically full scope of practice, which I, I was practicing full scope of practice as a nurse, but I wanted more than that. I wanted to have the full medical knowledge I would get as a physician. Very good. And um, what made you go into anesthesia as a specialty? Uh, I've always liked uh, procedural medicine. I, I looked at uh, actually interventional radiology and interventional cardiology, but, you know, I had was familiar with anesthesia. I knew that I was comfortable in the operating room and the techniques and um, I liked the lifestyle aspect. So I knew it was a good fit for me. So, I, and I had some basic skill knowledge. So that was a plus going into anesthesia. Gotcha. Uh, thanks for speaking on that a bit. Uh, just switching gears a little bit. Uh, you're the president of the Alabama Society of Anesthesiologists. Uh, I was curious to see what kind of challenges you faced as the president. Well, we, we've had a few challenges over the years, but specifically 
uh, the year before COVID, we had a lot of legislative challenges. The anesthesia nurses were trying to rework their um, documents to allow increased scope of practice. But not only that, what was more concerning is, I know we're speaking about anesthesia, but we had a real onslaught in the state legislature of a lot of mid-level providers that were trying to increase their scope of practice. We had podiatry that wanted to operate like from the knee down. We had optometrists that wanted to do LASIKs and eye surgery. We had uh, physical therapists that want to treat without a, a diagnosis or a, a visit with a physician. There was a, so there's a whole, not just anesthesia, but a lot of other mid-level push to be independent practitioners or increase their scope of practice beyond their training. Gotcha. Okay, so then uh, why are you such, or why are you so passionate about uh, advocating for physician-led uh, patient care? Well, you know, I've always been proud to take care of patients and to do the best job for a patient. And I think that the safest, best anesthesia approach is a care team model that is physician-directed. I don't think that... Uh, that you can have a higher, better quality care. And if it were myself getting a procedure, I would want a physician-led care team to take care of myself. Understood. Okay, um, and so when it comes to education and training, uh, what do you think are the main differences between an anesthesiologist and a nurse anesthetist? <clears throat> well, a lot of people talk about the amount of time spent and that's true as a physician I had like, I don't know, 12 years of schooling versus five to seven years as an anesthesia nurse. And clinically, an anesthesia nurse may have 2,500 hours of clinical training, but as a physician, you get 12 to 15,000 hours of training. So there's a lot of educational time difference, but it's not just that, it's the difference in the education. As an anesthesia nurse, I was taught how to do things. As a physician, I was taught why to do things. And I can't tell you that, you know, in the first two years of medical school, everybody else in the class is like, when are we going to get to the real medicine? When are we going to get to the hospital? And I would sit there and I'd go, oh my goodness. And light bulbs would go off. And I'd say, now I understand why all these years I've been doing this. Now I understand this procedure. Now I, I know what that does to the patient, things I had never known before. And the first two years were just so enlightening to me. I was telling somebody, I used to sit in on the resident conferences at UAB when I was a nurse. And, you know, I could follow some of the conversation in the, in the teaching, but I knew I couldn't understand everything that was going on. And then when I came back as a resident, and sat in those same conferences, I was like, oh my goodness, I can understand everything that's being discussed. I had the knowledge in the background. And so just because you have additional education as a nurse, it's not the same as learning medicine as a physician and learning diagnosis and differential diagnosis and how to think about patients. Uh, thank you, that was very insightful. Uh, thanks for speaking on that. Uh, next, can you talk about the members of the typical anesthesiology team and what roles they play? 
Well, typically it's an anesthesia doctor, an anesthesia nurse, and then we have anesthesia technicians. Uh, the technicians basically clean the rooms, set the, turn over the rooms, the machines, set up drugs, and they may set up different uh, equipment that's needed. And so they're, they're very helpful. The anesthesia nurses actually do most of the administration as far as like uh, maybe doing the intubation, staying with the patient during the middle of the surgery. Myself as a physician, I will see the patient preoperatively, do a history and focus physical, uh, discuss the procedures with the patient, look for any underlying medical conditions. Uh, I assist in the operating room, especially with the inductions and the awakenings, which are critical times. But, you know, many times we get called to the room for questions or for complications or something that might be going on or we'll participate with what's going on or supervise in complicated cases. And then post-operatively in the recovery room and even into the ward, we'll make sure that the patients are recovering, that their uh, whatever underlying conditions are controlled, such as diabetes or blood pressure, things like that, and uh, do a whole perioperative care of the patient. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you for uh, giving us that overview. Uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit again. Uh, we were curious, what do you believe is behind the movement to allow a nurse anesthetists to practice on an independent basis? Well, that's a long story. That has actually, there's been a push for that for many years. And it's not just for anesthesia nurses. It's for all what I call mid-level providers, including physician assistants. And just as an aside, there's a book, if people want more information or want a deeper understanding of the history of how that evolved, there's a book called Patients at Risk. It's a real small read. It's written by two physicians. Uh, it's excellent. It outlines the whole kind of rise of um, the push for independent practice for anesthesia nurses and mid-level providers. And basically a lot of it has to do with as um, corporations, state and federal governments, big insurance companies took over medicine as far as the business aspect of it, then they started searching for ways to cut costs and have kind of um, not pushed, but um, led the, the emphasis on uh, increasing nurses and mid-level providers and reducing physician involvement in patient care. And so it's, it's almost a, a commercial driven um, thing that's happening in medicine. Gotcha. Okay. And um, as you may be aware, the ANA is recently pushing to change the uh, nurse anesthetist title to nurse anesthesiologist. Uh, why are you concerned about this effort? Uh, you know, I, I think that's a real disservice to patients. You know, patients have a hard enough time figuring out if they're being treated by a physician or not. You know, you'll, I know you've seen it before. You'll say, who's, who's your doctor? Oh, well, it's uh, Miss Peggy or whatever. Well, it's the nurse practitioner. And some patients realize that they're seeing a nurse and some patients don't realize that they're seeing a nurse. So they're not even educated on the, on the type and quality of care that they're getting. And to uh, call yourself an anesthesiologist, which is a physician title, just obscures that whole picture. It's not what I would call truth in advertising. 
And I think it's a real disservice to our patients. Very good, thank you. Uh, do you believe it's a good idea to allow nurse anesthetists to practice without any physician oversight? I think the best way to practice anesthesia is in a, a care team model. I've been on, uh, I've practiced independently as a physician and I've practiced in a care team model as a nurse and I've practiced in a care team model as a physician. And if nothing else, if, if you had no difference in education or quality of, of taking care of the patients, just a second pair of skilled hands when you're in a situation is life saving. And I kind of like to say, you know, when people question me on this, you're basically going into a medically induced coma. And I personally don't want to be in a medically induced coma without some physician oversight. Uh, I, you know, I don't think people realize when they undergo anesthesia what that actually is, but you know, you're not breathing, you're on a ventilator, you're paralyzed, you're under uh, drugs to make you unconscious. And um, I know personally, I would rather have a physician overseeing that, especially with our aging population and uh, our seniors that have multiple medical histories. It's doubly important to have a physician involved in their care. Definitely. Yeah. Anesthesia renders the patient very vulnerable. So I understand where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know that some states have allowed for nurse anesthetist independence. Uh, what have you seen in such states? Like uh, what type of results have we seen? Actually, there's there are four, 45 of the 50 states require some sort of physician involvement in anesthesia care. So it, that has really been overemphasized that there are states that allow physician uh, nurse independent practice. It, you know, we're talking five states that don't allow it, that have no form of physician involvement. And I can't speak to actual cases, but I can tell you from personal experience that um, there have been times when being a physician and being available has been life-saving to some of my patients. Gotcha. Okay. Um, kind of the next segment now, uh, what can anesthesiologists and other physicians do to promote and preserve physician-led anesthesia care teams? You know, I can't tell you how important advocacy is. And I'm the last person <laughs> that would advocate to be, you know, politically active, uh, aware of what's going on in the legislature. But, you know, I always just said, I want to take care of my patients. I just want to take care of patients. Well, what I've come to realize is that taking care of my patients is being a voice for my patients in legislature, in policy decision-making. Uh, you know, this has been left to other people to make these kind of decisions. It's been left to the insurance companies. It's been left to the federal and state governments. It's been left to uh, people that uh, have been groomed to be uh, legislatively active and advocate for, like you say, less physician-led care. And so if I'm going to take good care of my patient, then I'm going to have to be involved on that level, whether I want to be or not. And I think one of the biggest ways to do that is for resident education. There's not really any resident education as far as the importance of being aware of what's going on in your uh, legislative and insurance companies and things like that. And um, anesthesia has started to become aware of that. We have now that 
Um, I know at UAB, we send a couple of uh, residents to our legislative conferences in Washington, and they learn how to meet with their senators and congressmen. We have them go with us to our state house. We have them come to our national meetings and really are trying to make a push as far as them joining our uh, political action groups and becoming involved early. Because if you become involved early, then it's just a natural part of how you take care of your patients. Absolutely. All right, now shifting kind of over to the patient side of that, how can patients get more information on anesthesia care? I think the best place is the ASA website. It's ASA, we can just look up ASA or anesthesiology. And they have a lot of um, factual information that's more in a handout form that's easy for patients to read and understand. It's short. And, um, you know, you can always go to your state and, and look up your state society also if you have any, you know, particular questions. But I think the ASA website is probably your best. A place to find easy, concise information. Excellent. Yeah, the ASA has a lot of great resources from what I okay. saw as well. Um, that actually uh, concludes all our questions. Uh, do you have any final thoughts regarding this issue? Um, I just like to say I'm, I'm proud to take care of patients and I'm proud to work in the physician care team model. I work with a lot of great anesthesia nurses. Some of these people I've worked with my whole career and we do a great job. And I would hate to see that model or approach uh, lessened and patient care threatened uh, just for the sake of what people perceive is, is more cost effective when there's really been no studies or anything that shows that uh, non-physician-led care is any more cost effective. If in fact, it may be less cost effective because it requires other physician involvement to do uh, consults and medical diagnoses and tune-ups for the patients with their medical conditions that an anesthesiologist can do without involving other physicians. Absolutely. Yes, uh, I agree with that. Thank you so much for kind of sharing that. Um, so our sincere thanks to Dr. Blaylock for addressing some really important issues. I would also like to thank and applaud the rest of the tireless and heroic physicians and allied healthcare professionals and staff for everything they do every day. From everybody at MAG, thanks for watching, and we'll catch up with you on the next edition of Top Docs. Thanks for watching this episode of Top Docs. Please share this program with your colleagues and family and friends. Remember to follow MAG on Facebook and Twitter. And don't forget that you can get past episodes of the show at MAG dot org backslash top docs from everybody at bag we look forward to catching up with you on our next episode of top docs